The presented content does not provide or constitute medical, financial, or legal advice. The content is for information purposes only. Viewing or listening to the content does not constitute a physician-patient, dentist-patient, fiduciary-client, or attorney-client relationship. Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Join us today to talk about emotional economics, the four keys to understanding your self-worth as you age, is Dr. Mary Flett. Dr. Flett is a keen observer of what it means to be an aging adult and offers her unique perspective on embracing the shift that aging brings. She is a passionate and engaging speaker on all things related to aging and is known for her unique ability to bring humor and compassion to complex and emotionally challenging topics. She recently published a three-book series, Aging with Finesse, containing selections of blogs she has been writing for the past four years. After over 30 years of working with elders as a psychologist, Dr. Flett now offers consultation on how to age in place, how to manage life transitions, and how to adapt to the changing changes life presents as we age. How are you doing today, Dr. Flett? Jason, it's wonderful to be here with you. I'm doing just fine today. Very good. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm looking forward to our conversation, but before we get started, for those that are joining us for the live webinar, you should see a toolbar in your right-hand corner. If you have any questions, type your questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get your questions answered. So Dr. Flett, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Thanks, Jason. Thank you everybody for coming and joining me here today. I wanna to give a little background about emotional economics because actually people have said to me, I don't understand what you're talking about. Now that's not unusual. So let me just tell you how I came about this. I noticed I was spending an enormous amount of time wondering about how I was going to make my money last as I aged. And in truth of the matter, I don't like figuring out all the money stuff. So I was consulting with financiers and friends, and I just became overwhelmed. And I realized that really what was going on for me was much more emotional than it was fiscal. So I started looking at, and you'll have to excuse me today, we're being joined by one of my colleagues and supervisors. This is Max the Cat, who cannot be out of the camera for more than 30 seconds. <laughs> so I was investing time in learning about money, but what I realized was I really needed to be investing time in my own self-worth. So I thought about it, I talked to a lot of different people about it, and I came up with this concept of emotional economics, which really means, what does it mean to be enough? So that's what we're gonna talk about today, investing in your self-worth. And there are four aspects to emotional economics. The first is, I am enough. Now, this is a core belief that many of us struggle with, and especially for some reason in our culture, where women are undervalued, I've noticed more than anything else, believing that I'm good enough to even value myself in a way makes a difference in how I approach every single day of my life. So many people have talked to me about their concerns about becoming a bag lady or being on the street. And in fact, there are sadly, suggestions statistically because of COVID and a variety of other issues, there's a potential for many, many more of us who are aging to have deep financial struggles unless we do something about it. 
And I'm not just saying do something about it financially, that has to be addressed, but it also has to be addressed in terms of our beliefs about ourselves. So I look around for inspirational literature all of the time. I came across this marvelous book called Falling Upward by Father Richard Rohr. In that book, he says, there is nothing to protect, nothing to prevent. I am who I am, and it is enough. Well, that really got me to thinking, because what does it mean to be enough? So here are some questions that I want you to just think about, and we'll talk in more in depth about these as we go through this. What messages were you given about your self-worth growing up? You know, so much of this, I'm not pointing fingers at our family of origin, but so many of the legacies of shame that we carry forward came from beliefs and messages we were given about growing up and about who we were. I'm, am I good enough? Just who do you think you are? Questions that may have been easier to answer when you got older and had some distance and a little bit more experience. But what I was left with, and this also comes from my, my private practice working with people over all these years, is do you still believe them? And, and this became a wonderful opportunity to kind of unpack beliefs that may no longer serve me, that I might have unconsciously just accepted as being capital T truth. So the question here really is, how do these messages, if you have negative messages, influence the decisions about where you live, where you spend your time, how you spend your time, what you spend your money on, whether or not you need to save money because there won't be enough. Truth of the matter is, these messages cause anxiety at some level and yet give us hope and can sustain us when there are difficult times. The only reason why I can say this with such assuredness is because during COVID, I think we all had to come to terms with things being different that were out of our control. One of the messages that I was given growing up was that I was responsible for and therefore, if things didn't turn out correctly, it was my fault that things did not turn out correctly. What I've learned is to give myself more space and understanding and compassion so that I can make mistakes because Lord knows I am not a financial expert by any means. But here's some more questions. What would you do differently if you believed that you're enough? Would, would you maybe spend a little bit more money on comfort? Would you, assuming that we weren't living in COVID times, uh, maybe allow yourself to purchase flowers every week because that makes you happy? Would you take off on a world tour and maybe bring a friend along with you? What would you do differently if you believed you're enough? And maybe it wouldn't be anything. Now, here is something that I just invite you to sit with. You don't have to have an answer with this right away, but mull this one over. What stops you from believing that you are enough? 
Is it messages you're receiving from other people? Is it perhaps messages you're receiving through the media? Unconscious ageism is amazingly problematic in our culture at the moment. This adds to our belief about whether or not we have enough. And this is the second E in the emotional economics. So often I hear people talk to me about the fact I don't have enough time, I don't have enough energy. Those are beliefs that are based on facts that we collect in order to support whatever our viewpoint is. But what underlies all of this really, particularly as we age, is do you have enough time for what's important? Do you have enough time to share your heart and your soul and your friendship and your dreams and your hopes? And most importantly, the legacy of your experience of your life, your wisdom, if you will. Do you have enough inner peace? Do you have opportunities during the day where you just pause in between all the things that you're doing and just express some gratitude. As Meister Eckhart used to say, the only prayer you have to utter ever is thank you, and that will be enough. I think he paid me for that. Do you have enough connection with others? And this is particularly important as we age, and we've certainly found this out over COVID when disconnection was not an option that we had to fix. We had to remain disconnected in order to stay alive. Money is always an issue, and money is an emotional issue. So I turn to one of the great minds of the 18th century, Johann Goethe. He had nine requisites for a contented life. So here's the first one. Grace enough to confess your sins and forsake them. What we're talking about here is acknowledging that sometimes what we do is wrong and we need to make amends for that. Patience enough to toil until some good is accomplished. Charity enough to see some good in your neighbor. Health enough to make work a pleasure. Germans and work, Arbeit macht frei. Mm. Wealth enough to support your needs. Strength to battle with difficulties and overcome them. Love enough to move you to be useful and helpful to others. Faith enough to make real the things of God. And in this case, faith being faith in yourself and hope enough to remove all the anxious fears of the future. So the question is, what does it take for you to be content? These are nine values, but I suggest to you that there are values you have grown up with, values you inherited from your family, values you have re connected with over your lifetime that help you to be content. Underlying this is how we manage, how we function, the choices that we make. And most of our choices, believe it or not, are based on our values. So how do you manage your commitments? 
Are you always beholden to someone else and scrambling to try and do well for others? Do you feel you have enough time? Can you say no if you need to? Who's on your team or your tribe or your board of directors? Who is it that makes up your family? And that can be any way of connecting in this day and age, particularly as we age when at least for me, what I've seen I needed to do was redefine family and make new connections and invite new people into my life. Who will care for you as you age? I'm a solo ager. And one of the challenges that I face as I grow old is actually connecting with younger people. I have no children of my own. So I have to make it a point to make sure I have enough connection with younger people so that they can help me make it through my old age. How well do I know my body? Well, I'm getting to know it much more intimately than before. My earlier years, I pretty much took it for granted. Nowadays, it's a negotiation when I get up and when I have to decide what I'm going to do. Will I have the capacity? Will I have the stamina? Will I have enough to be able to meet the needs and the requirements that make my life worthwhile? How confident do you feel managing money? I've already shared, I'm not all that confident. So I have to connect with others to help me support myself so that things will be able to sustain me. I do have a plan B. Do you have a plan B or C or D? I think one of the greatest lessons from COVID was that we needed to rethink and take a firm stand in taking charge of our future. How connected do you feel with your friends and family, with communities of faith and your neighbors? All of these things are resources and valuable contributors to having enough. The third E is believing there is enough. So many of us go through life thinking that the glass is half full or it's empty or, you know, whatever your belief is about there being enough, that will drive your energy in making sure that you acquire what is necessary. So this quote, I need to get this out of the way in order to be able to read this. This quote is, whatever we are waiting for, peace of mind, contentment, grace, the inner awareness of simple abundance, it will surely come to us, but only when we're ready to receive it with an open and grateful heart. So, simple abundance. Simple abundance means making sure that we are ready to receive. Knowing that there is enough and believing there is enough is really essential as we make it through our aging years. So here's some questions. What did you have enough of when you were younger? What did you have enough of when you were 
an adult. What do you have enough of now? How different are all of these? What was in short supply for you as a child? Where did you struggle as an adult? What are you in short supply of now? How do your beliefs about having enough influence your decisions? The extreme of this can be what we saw in the early days of COVID, where people were buying lifetime supplies of toilet paper to the point that there wasn't enough available. That's a more humorous way of looking at it. But what did you feel a need to acquire in bulk in order to see you through? That's a short-term question. Long-term questions. Do you believe that there's enough love for you? Do you believe that there's enough time for you? What do you believe there is enough of? And how does that influence what you do? This is a fun question to play with, but I found it is also one that's challenging for many people. How would you think or act differently if you knew there was enough? You never had to question. And how would you think or act differently if you knew there wasn't enough? If you haven't yet read the wonderful book, Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, I encourage you to get a copy of it. If you don't want to read the book, go online because it's a wonderful opportunity to see and question how you would make decisions about what is valuable to you. The last of the four E's is what I call the Goldilocks standard, knowing what is good enough. Here we are again with Meister Eckert. In this case, he's asking, I am what I wanted and I want what I am. I am what I wanted. I am a kind, compassionate, funny, and somewhat unpredictable friend, neighbor, and colleague. And that's what I want in my life. I want others who are loving, kind, professional, who want to be in my life. That's a remarkable thing to attain. So what is good enough for you? What would you define as your Goldilocks zone? What's just right? Or what's good enough? And what do you use to measure that? I can usually tell things when I'm doing too much and it's a little bit after the fact. So sometimes I have to take a pause and just go, you know, is there a reason why I'm really tired or I'm feeling puttering and I'd rather not go and do things? 
it's usually because I'm doing too much and I haven't taken enough time for myself. What areas of your life you have difficulty letting go? I have been accused of being an overly controlling person. I need to be in charge, which in point of fact is a way of me managing my anxiety and concern about not being in charge. So what I'm learning to do as I age is let go of that need of control. Invite others to take over aspects of my relationship with them in ways that perhaps seem a little bit unsettling, but ultimately allow me to accept new things. So what is the difference between settling, okay, that's just okay, and accepting something? I think the most poignant aspect for that is when I see people who are having to come to terms with end of life issues. I recently received note notice from one of my relatives that um, he has terminal cancer. And he's always been a stalwart Lutheran and he doesn't ever say much of anything. But this was a short brief email that just said, this is what's happened. And I wanted to let you know, accepting that we are mortal is part of being human. But we all grow at different speeds. We all grow into whatever it was we were meant to blossom and become. So I invite you to take a look at what enough means for you. How often should I reevaluate those on my team? Oh, what a fabulous question that is. Um, I wish I could give you an exact, once every week. Um, there are many variables here, really, and one is, most importantly, is have your needs changed? And if so, are the people who are on your team still capable, have the capacity, not just good wishes, but have the capacity to meet those changing needs? So often I see folks who rely, say, I'm just going to rely on my kids. My kids will take care of me as I grow older. And while that is the ideal, and certainly we hope that our children will pay attention to us, um, there may be changes in their lives that make it difficult for them to meet our changing needs or my changing needs. Now, as I said before, I'm a solo ager. So I really need to pay attention to my physical needs, which can change day to day, month to month, to make sure that I have the right people on my team to help meet that what is it that you are doing in order to continue to adapt to the changing needs that you have? So if it's a money issue, maybe you really need to talk about finances, particularly since the market is being so strange right now, with someone in addition to your financial planner. So many people I know rely on a financial planner, but don't check in with them on a regular basis. So change can be challenging confronting people who may no longer meet your needs is always difficult to say the least because at least for me i know i don't want to disappoint them or make them feel bad but if you do it as an invitation for them to participate in your life in a way 
that they will feel good about what they're able to contribute and you will feel better about the contributions they're making to the quality of your life. I think there's no one special day, week, month, year time frame for that, but just extend the invitation when it feels comfortable for you. That feels like a mushy answer, but that's the best I can. That's fine. Somebody asks, how do you define intimacy as we age? Whew, that's a whole different uh, conversation, but I'll try here. Um, intimacy is a way of connecting where there is acceptance, no judgment, and an awareness that there is an opportunity to share both ways. It's not imbalanced. There really is a, uh, an equality about it. The willingness to reveal yourself, warts and all, can really only happen when you feel comfortable and safe in another person's presence. I think this goes back to some of the messages I received as a child. I am enough. If I got messages that were negative and I don't believe I am enough, I may be frightened to reveal myself totally to another person and be emotionally intimate with them because of the judgment that I'm afraid I might receive. So naming it, just, just addressing the fact that I'm uncomfortable, I'm unsure, I, I'm wanting to be loved for what I believe might be something that is unlovable, but I need you to help share with me that it's not unlovable. Intimacy also is a willingness to listen to the other person. And one of the greatest skills I believe we can improve is our ability just to listen without judging, not having to fix, not coming up with a solution to somebody's problems. And that really takes courage because it's admitting that we may be experiencing shared pain. But that's all on the negative side. I have to say, intimacy also includes shared joy. So sharing in somebody's wins, accomplishments, um, actually in some days, just I, that last slide of the bulb coming up, um, I, I am getting really excited because flowers are blooming out here in California right now. And I share that with people, and that is an intimate moment too. So it goes the full scope, non-judgmental, willingness, courage, and the capacity to listen and just be with somebody. Yeah. Those are great questions. Yeah, uh, we've got a couple more. Uh, one, somebody asked, if I examine and determine that I do not have enough wealth, what should I do? <laughs> well, I'm not gonna recommend that you play the lottery. Um, Wealth is an individual decision. Uh, it's, uh, I'm sorry, not decision. Wealth is an individual definition. Um, I know people who have had nothing, literally nothing, lived on the streets, who feel wealthier than people who have millions of dollars in the bank because they've been loved and they know they've been loved. So one of the challenges in our culture is, is we demand 
certain level of societal accomplishment based on income and acquisitions and objects. To me, that's only a small, small aspect of what true wealth is. I measure wealth in terms of friendships. I measure worth, I measure wealth in terms of how much freedom of choice I have to spend my time the way I want to spend my time. And those measures of wealth are not necessarily highly valued in our culture. So I would encourage you to take an inventory of your friendships. I would encourage you to take an inventory of how you manage your time, where you feel beholden to others, and where you feel you have choice and where you put your time and energy, and then see what's in the bank. Excellent. Last question, Dr. Flett. Somebody asked, how would you address not having enough time? Well, I know that, and there's an urgency about that, both in terms of what it is that I want to accomplish uh, in my life, and I see the sands through the hourglass drifting through, and so, oh my God, I don't have enough time, by doing nothing. <laughs> so one of the challenges here is to just come into this moment, this present, moment this is this is probably one of the most difficult skills i've had to develop of just pausing and i frequently share this with some of my more anxious patients anxiety comes up from worrying about having enough time and if i want to lower that level of anxiety i invite people to do the following you can take a breath in, but don't hold it. You can let your breath out, but then pause. Truth of the matter is, human beings came with a preloaded app to manage time, anxiety, and urgency. It's called breathing. And there are three parts to the breath. There's the inhalation, there's the exhalation, and there's the pause. And many, many of my teachers have taught me about breathing with one nostril, breathing into the stomach, all the way down to the bottom. Many of my teachers have taught me how to exhale completely. But the best teacher I ever had told me to just rest in the pause between breaths. And that was the place that I discovered ease and relaxation. So, if you are concerned about managing time and not having time enough, I just invite you to take a breath. Jason, this has been so wonderful. I'm really delighted to have been here today. Thank you, Dr. Flett. If you, uh, how can people find you? Well, if you can see this yes. beautiful slide up here, um, Five Pillars of Aging is online. I delight in having people, oh, I don't see my email address on here. Um, my email address is drmaryflett at gmail.com. It's all one word. And I would delight in receiving emails from people. You can also leave me a message at the Five Pillars of Aging website, or you're free, feel free to call me. Now, this is an old-timey landline, so uh, you'll get a message machine, but I will call you back. 
And if you wouldn't mind, Dr. Flake, could you uh, spell out your phone number and your website address, please? Absolutely. The phone number is area code 707-938-5531. And my email is D-R-M-A-R-Y-F-L-E-T-T, as in Tom, at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, thank you again, Dr. Flett. Um, as far as Knowledgeable Aging, you can go to our website, knowledgeableaging.com, and see all of our upcoming and archived content. You can go to YouTube, uh, type in Knowledgeable Aging. We encourage you to subscribe. We update a couple times per month. If podcasts are your thing, you can find us on Apple Tunes, Spotify, etc. Till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar. This is Knowledgeable Aging. <laughs>